This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Converse Digital. Tom Martin and his team instinctively ideate and innovate ways to create painless prospecting and lead generation systems. These painless prospecting systems combine the power of email marketing, social media marketing, content marketing, and buyer behavior science to shorten sales cycles and increase sales conversion percentages. We featured one of Tom's concepts in our latest book, Destination Leadership, and you can learn more about his work at ConverseDigital.com, where you can also find a link to score Tom's book called The Invisible Sale. And now on to our show. Our guest today is Greg DeShields. Greg currently serves as the Executive Director of PHL Diversity, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, formed in 1987 as the first multicultural division of a DMO in the nation. He also serves as an adjunct instructor for Temple University's School of Tourism and Hospitality. He's a graduate of Johnson & Wales University in Providence, Rhode Island, with degrees in hotel and restaurant management and hospitality management. Prior to his work with PHL Diversity, Greg was a manager in the hospitality industry for such companies as Hyatt, Omni, and Sheraton Hotels. His interests include cars, travel, and most importantly, cooking. Greg DeShields, welcome to DMOU. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to join you. And we should also add to the list of things that you like to do, you're a podcaster. You're a veteran. Five seasons now? I am. Unfortunately, I'm experiencing that coveted um, hiatus during the summer month, but we're back to season five beginning in September. That's great. And people can find that podcast where? I mean, iTunes for sure, but I mean, sure. where else can they find it? Absolutely. So we're www.phldiversity.com. Excellent. Well, we had a chance to connect when we were doing an organizational assessment a few months ago of the Philadelphia CVB, and I remember leaving our interview just mesmerized by what that organization is doing and what you're doing um, with these divisions that PHL CVB has done. They've got PHL Life Science, PHL Sports, and your division, which is PHL Diversity. So let's get down to the first question. Tell us about the genesis of the division known as PHL Diversity. So PHL Diversity is a business development division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Uh, the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau is the official marketing arm for meetings and conventions for the city of Philadelphia. And PHL Diversity works strategically and collaboratively with our sales team to ensure that we capture those diverse multicultural meetings and conventions that would consider Philadelphia. You know, it's interesting. We are well over 30 plus years in our operation. And the concept of the division was really meant to build a vehicle within a convention and visitors bureau that would ensure that in the case of what was originally known as the Multicultural Affairs Congress, there would be a way for the diverse and multicultural communities to participate in the evolution of the hospitality industry in Philadelphia. You know, if you think back to 1987, our big exciting hotel was the Benjamin Franklin Hotel, and we didn't even have a convention center. We were using the Civic Center yeah. over in the University City part of uh, Philadelphia. So with the development of a convention center and, of course, the first 
renaissance of hotels in Philadelphia, it made sense to ensure that there was a vehicle to help to facilitate the development of a service industry that was as inclusive as it could possibly be. Uh, And among some of the first initiatives that came out of this division was to create a hospitality training vehicle that would provide at no cost training components and basic entry skills for those who had been working in the manufacturing industry that had to learn about the service industry. And that was with a local nonprofit organization called OIC or the Opportunities Industrialization Center. And that hospitality program still graduates about 180 to 200 graduates per year in entry levels in the hospitality industry. But it was so many other ways of which the division could become a huge resource. Uh, We certainly served as a professional resource for minority meetings and conventions who were considering Philadelphia. But in addition to that, we worked very closely with our local minority businesses to help to ensure that they became visitors ready as we built this demand for minority meetings and conventions. And then, of course, as you start to think in terms of all of the resources that you can create for a city, we realized that there was a lot of avenues that we could support, like creating educational training program for high school students who have career interests in the hospitality industry, as well as working with local colleges and universities in order to ensure that if there were internship programs or other educational programs, that we could become a more collaborative partner. So it was really meant to help to create a vehicle to plug the local minority community into the development and evolution of the hospitality industry, but then it began to spin out all of these other benefits to the local community as well. See, and I think that's what's so fascinating, and maybe it was why I was so taken with PHL diversity, is, you know, a lot of DMOs over the years have made moves into the multicultural meetings market, events market. I think it it tended to be maybe one-dimensional, whereas, you know, you identify the the target meeting planners or the target industries you you identify the salespeople on staff that are going to go do that and you call on them and you you go through the entire sales process and you build your databases and everything but for phl diversity by taking a different path by connecting to your that's what i don't see very often and and where i think i'm most interested in taking most of the rest of this conversation is tell us about how you are turning potentially a cold call from your salesperson into a warm call. How do you how do you get to the philosophy behind not just going after the prize, but actually making sure, and you said it just a moment ago, that you are visitor ready, that your community is ready, willing, and able to put on a great show for any group, but especially a multicultural group? Well, I think it all starts with what I think any salesperson would really focus on in order to ensure that you have a long-term career of success, and that's relationship building. And while you can certainly invest in a strategy to be focused around booking a particular convention to come to your city, there is an authentic experience, especially in the multicultural segment, which goes way beyond some of the 
basic fundamentals of selecting rates and dates and all of the logistical things that would make your city work. The group then has to have the ability to plug in to the local community that certainly represents their constituents. And in some cases, those groups that are coming to the city, they may have an expo of which they want local visitors to purchase tickets and attend. So the idea of engaging the local community really enhances the experience for any group that's coming to the city. Even when there is a site selection, most groups will want to see the various nuances of the community which they represent and how that can be an additional resource for them to enhance their visitors who are coming from other cities and, of course, tapping on the local members. But it's it's really a singular approach. It's one that can be certainly led by the CVB, but then you collectively bring in the resources or the support of the city because it is promoting a destination. And then you engage those leaders from within those diverse communities to become a vested partner and ensuring that if a Latino group or an Asian group or an African-American group is coming, that we can put our best foot forward in order to provide them the best experience. But what also works to our advantage is that the local diverse communities or multicultural communities become aware of what the benefit can be by having these conventions come to the city. And as a result, they can become a resource in terms of presenting leads that you may not have even anticipated. But then they are also an excellent connector to provide resources of either unknown assets that can certainly enhance the experience. But I think what more commonly comes about is our ability to connect them with local businesses that can provide the kind of uh, products and services that a lot of our groups look for when they come to a city. And do you find that that connectivity and that ability for, for you and your team to share with a meeting or event planner that 50%, 60% of their maybe non-hotel or convention center spend is going to be in the multicultural community because you've got these relationships. Well, you know, for some groups, it's part of their mm-hmm. mission to give back to their local community, whether it's providing economic value that they directly invest in those communities, or in some cases, it might be an in-service day that they want to support, you know, if there is a local educational program. I think when I first came here, we had a group that really focused on the evolution of African-Americans who were part of the unionization movement here in the United States. And they wanted to do an educational program for minority students to learn a history of how minorities participated in union growth in the United States and how it helped to support creating jobs. It was aligned with that particular group to share that story in every city that they attend. So it's an educational benefit to our students. It's a way for that group to fulfill its mission. And it provides that customer with a much more beneficial and meaningful experience while they're here. And that goes beyond the idea of how much money they may bring to the city. I mean, they're going to do that anyway. But if we can help plug them into it, they feel even better. And quite frankly, they may spend even more money while they're yeah, here. That's absolutely great. So like PHL Life Sciences, your two divisions are really plugged in to, on their point, uh, the healthcare community and your point, the, the multicultural community. 
and have the ability to, as you said earlier, to to identify leads that maybe you would never in a million years uncover on your own, but at the same time to to make the connection of you know we've got the best speakers we've got we can bring all this together and and for a meeting plan you know we've got the speakers that you need you don't have to put them on a plane you don't have to put them in a hotel you probably don't have to even pay them their full rate because we've got that talent right here waiting for you in Philadelphia and I think that's one of the powerful things about what you're doing. Um, in Philadelphia at the CVB by identifying people in the community that can help you really hit the mark on these very, very targeted markets. You mean, you do look at it from each individual destination has its degree of knowledge capital that can certainly be applicable to groups. And it is a top priority of ours to build those relationships with those individuals and certainly help to position them to contribute to the groups that may come to our city. What's interesting is that in some cases, they really want to be a part of that convention. So they may not even look at it from a business arrangement, more as from a local perspective, how they are able to promote our city around the cause of a particular organization. The other thing that really impresses me about PHL diversity is it doesn't stop at just securing meetings and conventions. You touched on it earlier, but I'd like to go much deeper into it. Tell us how your work extends out to actually preparing these local businesses to serve visitors and attendees and how you track your success in that arena beyond how many people you're graduating from your, your hospitality training programs. So in terms of our ability to really create that connectivity, we do want to ensure that groups are aware of the activity that we perform as an organization. So I am a member of various boards and organizations which really help you to become very much entrenched within those communities, especially with the top focus of such organizations as multicultural chamber of commerce. I mean, aside from the business conversation that takes place in that community, you get very much involved with the various um, priorities of those communities. And to varying degrees, we will invite leaders from different committees to or community to be a part of our advisory board. So they actually sit around the table and can align their particular resources to the needs of ours as we either look for a group or once we've brought a group and we want to build more resources. So we make that connection so that the communities have an opportunity to be participative, even when we have large groups. You know, a couple of years back, we had a rather uh, awesome trifecta where we had the World Meetings of Family and the Papal Visit, and then the Democratic National Convention, and then the NFL Draft. So these are all major groups that are coming to Philadelphia that certainly local businesses and communities want to participate in. And we became that vehicle to help make them ready and connected to those groups. So working, for example, with the NFL draft, we were able to get insights of some of the business requirements that they would need from our local minority businesses. And we can share that information either through the various leaders of the minority chambers to ensure as RFPs or opportunities for them to respond to proposals that may be available for any kind of product and service, that they're aware of what it is that they need to provide and how they need to deliver it 
in a way that will give them a competitive advantage with those groups. So it all starts with us having that initial connection through a local organ local organization, inviting them to be a part of our board, uh, having them learn about the groups. We position them when the opportunities come from those groups, and then we work collaboratively to share the information of what those groups need. The idea of tracking the success comes to us in a variety of different ways, um, certainly by way of ongoing continuous engagement with those communities. We do have some ability to get some sense of data from their membership within their minority chamber. Although I will be honest, most organizations or businesses, especially small or, or minority businesses, are very protective of uh, their actual um, financial benefit, but they certainly stay at the table and are very much engaged and will inquire as it relates to groups that we are able to connect them to. We do have the ability to get a general sense from the group that may have secured products and services of their local benefit. Uh, for example, when we had the NAACP conference that took place in Philadelphia a few years back, while they didn't want to share quantitatively how much they were able to extend in contracts, they were able to you know, say we had six or seven contracts which were secured as a result of our engagement, whether that was limo or flowers or catering or technology or marketing, you know, those kind of opportunities are directly linked back to the connection between our office and the group, as well as our local business community. You know, one of the favorite um, stories that I tell when I'm uh, encouraging communities to understand that their DMO is really like a choreographer is one from Columbus, Ohio, where two businesses that were both struggling, the Bureau connected the two of those owners together. And uh, last time I checked in on these uh, two uh, individuals about eight years later, they've opened their seventh location. So had that not happened, probably neither one of them. Wow. Do you have a favorite wow. story of a, of a business or an entrepreneur in Philadelphia that you connected the dots and it all just kind of flowered? It just, it just grew? Well, you know, there's a gentleman by the name of David Sims, and he has a catering company called Eatable Delights. And he has been involved with our organization for a number of years. But during that period of the trifecta, he really began to enhance and grow his business, looking at some of the competitive non-minority catering firms, he reevaluated his menu and the types of services that he was making available uh, and realized that if he were able to step up his business, he could grow his opportunities. We were able to work collaboratively with the African-American Chamber of Commerce, and he made a short list in terms of being referred to them for various catering needs that they may have. Uh, and as a result, he was able to secure various jobs during the course of that convention. But because of how he became much more knowledgeable of how to work with the CBB and understanding that, you know, we book years out in advance and understanding that group leaders may book, you know, two years out. But if you start to build a relationship with them now, you can work with them in whatever city their convention is in or if they have planning meetings and they come to Philadelphia. So over the last few years, he's become much more savvy about being aligned with the sales activity 
um, providing opportunities for groups to experience this catering services through site visits, establishing various types of customized catering options as a result of him learning more about the particular needs that groups have. And he's been an ongoing uh, collaborative partner and somebody who can be a great go-to person when we want to make a great impression. Uh, so much so that he expanded his business and he has an operation now in Washington as well wow. in, as in Philadelphia. But the convenience for us is that we have customers who are in Washington. Mm -hmm. So now as we are able to entertain them in the DC area, we can actually work with the same caterer that they would have in Philadelphia. But that, you know, is a perfect example of how working with a local minority business and they learn the nature of the beast in terms of what we do and how they continue to enhance and improve their businesses to meet the needs of customers that they can become more successful. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not isolated in just this meeting and convention space. He does a lot of other catering for various other types of industry, but he has certainly matured in his understanding of the business alignment that can take place and how um, I think we kind of identify ourselves as the broker. And as the broker, we've helped to make some great connections for him. That's a great story. You know, I would say the uniqueness about PHL diversity or the Multicultural Affairs Congress is that the Bureau here made a commitment to invest in a division like this. And I think that may be perhaps some of the challenges around replication. There is an allocation out of the budget to ensure that life sciences, sport, and PHL diversity are resourced in order to do what we do. Now, we are extremely mindful of the fiscal responsibility that we have, and the things that we do are clearly tied to our goals of securing meetings and conventions. But the resources necessary to build a long-lasting and well-established resource like the business developments here uh, are pivotal to the success of really building this asset that helps the city become that much more competitive. So, you know, as other cities think about that idea of replication, I think it's, it's quite different than to add some community involvement responsibilities to a salesperson because our salesperson who handles our multicultural segment works collaboratively with me based on the relationships that we forge over a long lasting period of time. Yeah, this isn't a one and done. You have to actually put some some thought, Absolutely. time, and resources behind it. Absolutely. All right, Greg. Great stuff. Uh, time for your bonus round question? I'm ready for it. All right. I'm always intrigued at how the best and the brightest arrive in the DMO space because most of us don't go to, well, outside of this podcast, there isn't a DMOU <laughs> out there, right? There's no university that propels hundreds of us into this industry every year, we, we find our way through the most circuitous ways. You began your career in hotels, but you told me the other day that you had a, a moment that really galvanized your career choice. And it's a motivational story for everybody. So do tell. Sure. So uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I was a graduate from Johnson Wales. Um, I did a Hyatt management training program and my aspirations in my career to become a general manager. And uh, as I worked through working with different hotel companies, I certainly saw that that was a very exciting and meaningful career track. 
but I remember um, actually back in the 90s, there was a group that was meeting at the Pennsylvania Convention Center uh, called the Multicultural Affairs Congress. And I really wanted to go and learn about this organization because I hadn't really heard about it before. And it was uh, an organization that was really helping to build resources and connectivity between minorities in the hospitality industry. So I was working in a hotel as an assistant general manager, asked my general manager if I could go to the meeting, and she said no which was quite devastating because I felt that, uh, you know, this was something that could not just benefit me, but the hotel. Um, but working as an assistant general manager um, within the day shift, there were certain periods of time where you know that there might be an opportunity for you to leave. So uh, kind of managing the anticipation of the arrivals, uh, making shift change at three, I felt somewhere around five or 5.15 was a pretty good opportunity to maybe sneak out given that we didn't necessarily have a large arrivals on that day. Um, fortunately, I had a small window to go over to the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Risco Benson was speaking along with other leaders um, within our hospitality community in Philadelphia. And I really not at all understood what a DMO or CBB was, but I was very excited about the representation of minority leadership that I was seeing in this space and immediately became um, very interested in the organization. Uh, as time went on, became a member of the organization, uh, was fortunate enough to become uh, a member of the board, later executive committee. And surprisingly, 13 years later, I became the executive director of PHL Diversity. And to your point, I don't think that there is an adequate amount of motivation and incentive presented to college students about a career or working for a CVB or a DMO. I mean, it's probably a chapter in their curriculum. But for me, had I been exposed to it even earlier in my career, I would have definitely focused my efforts about building my career. But some things are um, probably best when their time is due. And for me, uh, it was a great evolution. I've been around the table long enough to understand the business. And uh, I've had absolutely no negative look back in making the transition out of the hospitality hotel segment into the DMO because it's an exciting, ever-changing, and uh, very innovative and creative industry to be a part of. And I absolutely enjoy it and would recommend it for anyone who uh, wants to see their career move in yet even uh, another exciting uh, way. But the power of somebody saying no, because absolutely that <laughs> made you all the more dedicated to making sure that you would absolutely. find your way to that meeting. Absolutely. Very cool. And it was interesting for me because several years before I had had the um, similar experience of learning that no should never be the end. If anything, it should just offer you another path to take. Yeah. What's the old sales um, mantra? No is simply a plea for more information. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> hey, Greg, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule, especially right after a, a grand vacation that uh, sounds absolutely inspiring. Uh, and thank you for all you do uh, for both Philadelphia, for the industry, uh, the podcast. Once again, if you'd like to to uh, hear that, it's at phldiversity.com. You can find out more about the entire uh, operation with all the divisions at phlcvb.com website. 
That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Converse Digital. Tom Martin and his team instinctively ideate and innovate ways to create painless prospecting lead generation systems for DMOs. And you can learn more about his work at ConverseDigital.com, where you can also find a link to score his book called The Invisible Sale. DMOPros.com is where you'll find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet. That is DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.